Welcome to the Georgia Fintech Academy podcast. The Georgia Fintech Academy is a collaboration between Georgia's fintech industry and the University System of Georgia. This talent development initiative addresses a massive demand for fintech professionals and gives learners the specialized education experiences needed to enter the fintech sector. Hi everybody, sector. this is Tommy Marshall, the Executive Director of the Georgia Fintech Academy. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Georgia Fintech Academy Podcast. We have got a wonderful conversation lined up for you all today. Um, we're going to talk about payments. We're going to talk about real-time payments. We have Steve Ledford with us, SVP Products and Strategy at the Clearinghouse, and Lily Sharples of the University of Georgia, National Football Champions. Uh, she is a senior. Welcome to you both. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks Thank for you. having us. Steve, um, we love to hear in terms of introductions. We we want to hear from we want to hear about what you want to learn about you. Students love to hear about your uh, the career journeys of the executives that we have on. So um, if you don't mind, kind of introducing yourself, telling us a bit about that, um, and then Lily will come to come to you in a in a moment after uh, we've heard from Steve. So Steve, tell us about you. All right. Well, I'd like to say that I've been planning all of my life to go into a life of uh, payments and fintech, but I would be lying if I did. I graduated from college. I went to work from a bank, uh, South Carolina National Bank, which no longer exists as part of Wells Fargo. Uh, but um, it was in the 80s. Um, and back then, banks were about lending money. You took in deposits, you lent money. And so the way to advance at a bank was to learn how to lend money. I had no aptitude for lending money, so I ended up going into payments, which just happened to be going through a remarkable period. This was when the ACH was very new. This was when debit cards were new. Uh, credit cards were still not that widely used. Uh, and so there was a lot going on. And um, so I got the chance to work in some of the most exciting projects at that time which then turned into the, 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 the payment services that we all use today. Uh, I worked there for a while. I went to work for a consulting firm, um, and the consulting firm uh, specialized, uh, at least our practice, in helping people deal with all of these changes, the move from checks to more electronic ways of making payments, uh, making payments very useful for consumers. Uh, this was when uh, the whole idea of teaching folks to use cards instead of writing checks at grocery stores was happening. Uh, ATMs were actually pretty new back then. Uh, you might be wondering, did dinosaurs roamed the earth at that time? No, but it was a very exciting time to get into payments. And so, um, and I was largely in the consulting side, uh, a variety of different firms um, for most of that period. Uh, for most of the period also, the Clearinghouse was one of my clients. Uh, and I'm, we'll talk more about that later. Mm -hmm. um, but um, you get a chance, I got a chance to work with a lot of different companies involved in payments uh, because I was uh, working on the consulting side. I got a chance to be involved in certain of the national task forces that were figuring out how payments would evolve over that period. Uh, in the early 2000s, we went through another big time of change in the way payments were done. New payment systems were being launched and that type of thing, and I got a chance to uh, do some of that. Um, I went to work for a firm uh, in the 90s that did a lot of work, not just in the uh, the U.S., but internationally. So I got a chance to see how payment systems worked in other countries, and that was great. I got a chance to work on some projects in the, uh, Europe, uh, 
the UK, um, uh, getting into some areas in Asia, Latin America, that type of thing, which again, we're going through their own revolutions in payments. Uh, and so um, it's been a great, uh, first of all, um, payments is a great area because it's something where not a lot of people do it, but it's something that touches every single person. It's very relatable. Um, you can do things that will end up affecting positively a whole lot of folks' lives uh, just by uh, being involved, coming up with new and better ways for folks to pay and be paid. Um, and it's been highly rewarding for, for that reason. Um, it's It started out as an accident, but it was one of the happiest accidents of my life. That's cool. That's great. Um, I want to I want to dig in on a few of those things you brought up as we get into the conversation. But I, and then Lily, but Lily, we want to hear about you. Um, but I guess my first question actually for you, Lily, is do you write checks? I do not. I think I've written two checks in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The, uh yeah, it's just that one thing, you know, I remember when all that transformation was beginning, Steve, to like try to move consumers away from check writing mm-hmm. into using like debit cards. It's just like, I mean, Lily, it used to be there was a time when like you go to the store and like most of the people were writing checks like while they're, you know, the cashier be like, OK, you owe us $100 and then they like start writing your check. But I remember distinctly like being like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> like, this person's actually writing a check right in front of me and I've got to wait. Uh, but yeah, I can't imagine you... that. <laughs> I go to yeah. the store and I usually pay with my Apple Watch with Apple Pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, well, I, can, this one thing related to that is I got a chance to work on a project with the Federal Reserve as a consultant. but uh, And at that time, this was right around 2000. Nobody actually knew how many payments were being made in the U.S. Nobody had ever really counted them. And so we tried – we had to come up with a way of counting them. And when we did, uh, folks had assumed at that time that the number of checks was almost twice what it was. There had already been that much change. I think a lot of folks would be surprised, though, that there are still more than 10 billion checks a year being written in the U.S. Um, and it's mostly written by businesses and yeah. things like that. But a lot of people would be surprised. But um, it was amazing how hard it was to figure out a way of actually counting the payments because it's not like they all go to one place. Well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's come back to that. OK. Um, yes. But Lily, <laughs> tell us a bit. Just tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I'm a senior at the University of Georgia. Go dogs. I am studying computer science and I am the vice president of Terry Fintech Society. So we work very closely with, you know, Georgia Fintech there. And I also serve as the vice president of women in technology. So pretty involved there. Definitely, you know, in the tech space, very interested in fintech as well. It's been, Lily, just really exciting for me to see how many uh, women we've been seeing getting into the fintech industry. We, we, did a, a, we do a survey every 12 months of how many of all the students that engage with the fintech academy, like what's the gender breakdown. And yeah. 30, last time we measured, 34% of all the students were women. I mean, of course, we want that to get to 50% and beyond, but it, I was really – super happily surprised yeah, that is pretty that surprising I'm surprised how as well. strong it was but i know um we've got one of uh, anna 
um, Gellerman, who's been helping me out as with a lot of things going on with fintech credit. I mean, she's computer science and about to take a meaningful job at Truist in their um, technology area starting in the summer. Um, but it's there's there's are several of these great programs like one you're involved with women in technology um, that uh, that do I think a lot of really meaningful things to get more and more women involved in tech and there's another one that Steve you might be familiar with WNet um, they're a more payments focused group but also it's kind of women in payments mm-hmm. um, and they're whereas the fintech academy we're starting to get a bit more involved with them in their chapters here and they want to get more students involved which is kind of cool there's a lot of different really interesting initiatives going on mm-hmm. um but uh but i love it um and uh i'm excited for your uh, next steps uh lily but let's talk um maybe steve if you want to start and really help orient our listeners who are really students <laughs> to the clearinghouse. What is the clearinghouse? Yeah. First of all, it is probably one of the most generically named companies you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> what are What is the clearinghouse? We are a clearinghouse for payments. We clear payments. Um, if you look at in the US, um, you can have two broad categories of types of payments. There are payments that are done with cards, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, the various uh, you know debit card and ATM brands. But then everything else it falls into uh, a, just a different category. This is where we have things like you know, automated clearinghouse, ACH. If you get direct deposit, you're, this is going through the ACH. There are wire transfers, uh, typically you know larger value commercial type of transactions, maybe buying a house, that type of thing. Uh, there are checks, again, still checks going on. And then there's the payment system that uh, I uh, have the privilege of uh, running, which is the RTP network. In pretty much all of the payments that are not card, they're either being processed by the clearinghouse or the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has an ACH, we have an ACH. They have a wire network, we have a wire network. Uh, They clear checks, we clear checks. We're the only operator of a real-time payment network, um, you know, like RTP, but the Fed's actually going to be coming to market next year with a competing product. So we compete with the Fed. We also cooperate with the Fed. Um, you know, we, we, we use their accounts as the basis for our settlement, those types of things. And so it's a, it's a good relationship, one where we cooperate where we need to, but we compete where we need to. And what we're competing for is for the financial institutions, the banks and the credit unions who use either us or the Fed to uh, take care of their payment needs. So that's what the clearinghouse does. We've been doing it since 1853. I was not around then, contrary to popular opinion, but uh, it was. Uh, but it's 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 really. Uh, there used to be hundreds of clearinghouses across the country. They really consolidated down into one. So that's what we are. Um, and the RTP network is the newest thing that we did. We launched back in 2017. So. And Steve, the the clearinghouse. Can you talk a little bit about that history? Um, cause, and, and I don't pretend to know it well, but my sense was there were kind of a set of the larger banks that initially had 
kind of came together and said, let's work on creating a, a network that we could use. And I know I know it's expanded substantively yeah. since those origins to where really all really all as you were mentioning, all banks, community banks, et cetera, can be part of the clearinghouse, part of that network. Yeah. But can you give a little maybe just a quick kind of bit sure. of the history of um, how the yeah. clearinghouse? Well, first began. of all, historically, there were clearinghouses in every city in the country. And their purpose was to clear checks because that was the kind of payments that there were. And it was a place where the banks would come together. They exchanged checks on each other, uh, and then they would tally them up. A um, little side note, the origin of the New York Clearinghouse, which was the first one in the U.S., was it used to be that couriers had to go to all the different banks. They learned if they all met at this one particular tavern, got together and exchanged, <laughs> they could uh, do this more efficiently. Uh, the, the folks running the banks figured this out and said, why don't we just set up an organization to do it? But then fast forward a hundred and something years and new forms of payments were coming along. Uh, the New York Clearinghouse, which is really the nucleus of the clearinghouse, uh, did things like it was one of the first to launch an ACH system in the 70s. They launched a wire system in the 70s, uh, a, a, an image-based payment system in the early 2000s. But over over the time, these things became more national as our banking system became more national. And so banks from all over the country started joining the Clearinghouse. Also, the Clearinghouse was offering its payment services to really any financial institution in the country. And that change really happened right around 2000 or so. Sure. So I have a question kind of going back to what you said about how you and the Fed are kind of competitors, but also cooperate. Mm -hmm. Where would there be a benefit of using the Clearinghouse instead of the Fed or you know, vice versa? It's a very good question. Uh, first of all, because we compete, we're very competitive in terms of both price and service. I would say that the folks who choose to use the clearinghouse, especially for something like ACH or for check clearing, which these are big bulk kind of services, uh, it's usually because uh, the we will be more cost competitive for the type of things that they're doing, the way their operations work that type of thing. We also, we maintain a high level of service. I think the Federal Reserve also maintains a high level of service, but, you know, banks will compare and they'll choose one of us or over the other. I would say in an area like wire transfer, it's a little bit different. There's some specialization. Uh, the Clearinghouse, by the way, is owned by about uh, 23 that are roughly the largest banks in the U.S. Um, these are also banks that are going to be much more internationally active. And so the CHIPS network, which is our wire transfer network, handles the overwhelming majority of payments that are going between the U.S. and other countries. You have the dollar side that happens in the U.S. That's typically going through CHIPS. Uh, and we have certain advantages for these very large transfers in terms of it's more efficient to use us in terms of the amount of money uh, that you have, the liquidity you have to put behind it. The Reserve is much more uh, broadly, uh, you know, pretty much every bank in the credit or credit union in the country is there, and they handle a lot more of the domestic traffic. And with RTP, uh, the reason you use us instead of the Fed is we're here. And so uh, we want to maintain that going forward, and we're going to be very competitive in terms of the, the features and the functionality. I was in uh, just right on the point with your question, Lily. I was doing a panel a little maybe two and a half years ago with and on the panel was me and uh, Dennis Lockhart, who um, had recent at that time had just recently stepped down as the uh, president of the Atlanta Federal Reserve. And. Um, and then I think we had another, I think it was a consultant. I can't remember the consultant firm. It was kind of three of us. And it was um, kind of fintech oriented, but we got into talking about real-time payments on the panel. 
and um, and this was shortly after the Federal Reserve had announced that they were going to create this real-time payments network called FedNow. Got that right, Steve? Is that what they said now? Correct, yes. And so and, – and me as like you know consultant, payment consultant guy, I said to, to you know, Dennis Lockhart, I was like, I don't get it. Like why why is the Fed doing this? We have the clearinghouse. This is, you know, been a ton of work put into this, lots of investment is working great in terms of real time payment access. Why why why? And um and Dennis, he's very eloquent and much more composed than I am. And he was like, Tommy, I, we, I need you to appreciate that, like, the Federal Reserve has a responsibility to make sure there's kind of system-wide access to payments kind of everywhere. It's a mandate of the Federal Reserve. So he was like, think of it as um, the Fed is going to do this to kind of fulfill its mission of making sure that um, real-time payments is absolutely available everywhere. Not not to say that the clearinghouse doesn't, you know, make that also possible, um, but I think it was part of this fulfillment of what the how the Fed views its mission, which I hadn't really thought about, which I was kind of thought was an interesting kind of answer to my question of why. Anyway, you got you got more than you bargained for on your question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but maybe Steve, take us into the kind of okay. What really is real time payments? Like, what are we talking Certainly. about here? Okay. Um, so, what the RTP network, which is our real time payment network that we offer, uh, it is a truly instant payment system. So, let me contrast this with something like uh, maybe a Venmo payment. Venmo. Money can move immediately from your Venmo account to someone else's. The way the money goes into your Venmo account is typically through a debit card, maybe an ACH, uh, but the money moves in. When you get a Venmo payment, um, it's there, but if you wanted to get that into your bank account, you're then having to pull the money down, and they have a service to do it. works very well. Um, and so what's happening is inside their network, it's moving instantly. But in terms of moving in or out, it's still moving on the existing payment systems, either debit card or uh, ACH. And those actually happen mostly either in batches. Uh, there's a settlement period that comes afterwards. Those payments can fail. RTP end-to-end is a truly instant uh, payment system. It is settles instantly, which means the money goes from the sending bank to the receiving bank instantly within seconds. Uh, and the other thing about it, and this is different than a wire transfer, because a wire transfer goes from bank to bank, it's required that the receiver of the payment immediately get access to the funds, and that when they get access to the funds, everybody has to be informed immediately. So it's a truly immediate, real-time, electronic, end-to-end payment. And that's what's unique about it. Uh, there are other ways of moving money. There are other ways of moving money fast. But it's the only one where you have that absolute certainty. The money made it to the recipient. They have the money and they can use it. And that's why it's of interest to a lot of different players. I mentioned Venmo earlier, for example. If you go to Venmo and you want to put money into your bank or credit union account, you're given an option. I can download the money. And they'll say, do you want it instantly? If they say you want it instantly, that's mostly being done through the RTP network uh, because uh, they can. And so, uh, and if you think about that, that's why it's also appealing for a number of other things. Uh, you've probably seen a lot of uh, the, the the interest in 
earned wage access. You work mm. your shift, and then you can immediately get paid uh, for what you earned. Uh, that, in many cases, is going over the RTP network. Um, gig economy, uh, Grubhub driver, for example, um, when they you know finish after every ride, if they want, uh, they can go ahead and be paid. And again, that's going over the RTP network. And so where you want that immediacy, but also you want that certainty, I know the payment has been made, that's where RTP is different than the others. And the one other thing, I mentioned all of these other services, you don't see what's happening with RTP. We're plumbing. Right. We're under the service. Uh, it just helps other people get their business needs and their payment needs done a little bit faster. So kind of back to that example of Venmo, I know sometimes, maybe not as much so recently, but using Venmo, we'll kind of get a notification that say, okay, it's a weekend or a holiday. It may take a few days longer to receive your money. Yeah. Does real-time payment kind of get rid of that? Is this like a 24-7 yes. every day of the year? Cool. 24-7 every day of the year. Um, um, and so it's uh, it, 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 that's the other thing. I should have mentioned that. Very good question. It's all the time. And so you don't have business days anymore. In fact, there is no end of day. It's just one continuous stream yeah. of payments going. So, Lily, I'm just I'm very curious to hear, like, as you're hearing Steve talk about what real time payments is, and it sounds like you're kind of getting a sense of it. Like what what are some questions that generate in your mind? I mean, just I'm very I mean, sincerely honest. Like, are you are you like, you know, is it what's your reaction? I mean, I I have thoughts about what your reaction might be, but I don't want to presuppose. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I think the, the Venmo example is a very good idea because that's kind of how me and all my friends do our money transfers for whatever we need to do. And, you know, I know they have the two options where it's like the instant or the not so instant, maybe a few days as I just kind of said holidays longer. So that I understand what you're saying is like you guys are the in-between, like you make the instant transfer possible. It's not Venmo. Like it's yeah. you guys kind of in between doing that. So that definitely kind of clears that up. And I think it's pretty cool. I mean, again, your example of like the DoorDash or the Grubhub drivers immediately getting their their payment. I that's a very cool thing for the future. I know I've had direct deposits and it's like, okay, maybe in two weeks, if nothing goes wrong, if my bank, you know, everything lines up, I'll get my money. But then, you know, someone didn't sign off on something. You don't actually get your money. It can be annoying. So that's another really cool use case, getting paid immediately on time, knowing you're going to get that money. It's definitely going to be helpful for people who kind of rely on their paychecks needing to come, you know, in that instance. Steve, no, that's, thank you, Lily. The, um, Steve, I remember like one of the first times I think I met you briefly at a conference. I know you really were doing a lot of outreach to help, you know, evolve RTP and engagement with RTP and acceptance. Um, there was I just recall there was like session, session, session with this term use cases, like what, you know, this question of like, what are the use cases that would be most um, engaged, engaged with real time payments as it begins to evolve? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because um, I don't I don't think well, a, I don't I don't think a lot of our listeners kind of appreciate like when we say use case, what do you what what is that? Um, why? Why was there so much debate and discussion? around that and then i guess ultimately what ended up being the use cases that truly were those to take hold uh first or initially with um real-time payments 
Absolutely. Um, first of all, I hate the term use case. Okay. okay. Um, it's it's uh, but, but but everybody uses it. We use it all the time. I hate the term use case. Um, also, it just sounds backwards. It's a case of use. I mean, what is it? But uh, anyway, um, when we first launched the network, we wanted to have some idea of what we needed to be able to support, and we came up with a list of use cases. And it was a beautiful list. It was nice PowerPoint. Everyone admired it, and we talked about use cases. And then we launched the network, and what we found out is as folks who understand what end users, fintech providers, folks who deal with real customers every day, um, in terms of the things that they know, we didn't. And so the use cases that we chose that would be most likely to be the big ones, yeah, some of them are being done, but we never anticipated what ended up being our biggest use cases. And our biggest use cases are one, I've already talked about one, you've worked and you get paid immediately. So whether it's you know the, um, the gig economy or whether it's earned wage access, that is huge and that is probably our fastest growing use case right now. Uh, another one that we never really anticipated would be as big as it is, is folks moving money into and out of wallets. Uh, whether it's a Venmo wallet, uh, Digit is one of the users, which is a savings program. Uh, really, if there's any place where folks end up parking money for something, uh, you know, one of the more recent ones is sports wagering, uh, which right. uh, you you're, you know, you win. Um, by the way, we did get a spike right after the Super Bowl and right after the SEC after the uh, national championship, but. Um, but those are the things where folks have money and they want to get it into their bank account because that's what that's where they can use it. Uh, that's another big one, and we never anticipated that being that big. We didn't think the payroll because it's like well, direct deposit works. Well, yes, it does, but it doesn't do this one thing. Um, uh, other big use cases: insurance payouts, for example. I've wrecked my car. Uh, my house got hit by a tornado. I want to get paid now. So that's uh, another example of a use case. Businesses paying other businesses, uh, it's not the big volume because there are just more people than there are businesses. But that's where some of the really fascinating things are happening. When the pandemic uh, really caused everyone to uh, change the way they did business, folks could not get into their offices to send checks to their suppliers. What did they do? They started using RTP, especially since they wanted to make sure that when the payment got there, the shipper could ship the goods immediately and not wait to see if the payment bounced. So that's one really fascinating stuff happening more recently. Um, mortgage closings uh, are one of the most complicated kind of things you can do. A whole lot of folks paying each other, being paid. There's a little bit of that going on right now, but we just raised the limit on RTP payments from 100000 to a $1 million. There's a tremendous amount of interest in Think of it as a ballet of payments. The lender, the new lender of the house, you know, the person who's buying it, their money comes in. They pay off the old loan. They pay the real estate agents. They pay the taxes, all of those. Uh, and that's a perfect example where not just the speed but the knowing. Lily, I love what you said a little while ago about, you know, you don't know when you were doing some of the other uh, things. The knowing that the payment's been made is very important. So uh, that's a good example of the type of thing. But these are the types of things that we're seeing. Uh, and it's one of the great things about it is we did not predict these. And even better is you don't have to come to the clearinghouse saying, I want to use payments for this. People just start doing it. I've learned about half of the use cases that are happening on our networks because I saw them 
in the, the, the press, or sometimes someone walked up to me at a conference, kind of like you did, Tommy, and say, hey, we love the network because this is what we're doing with it, and I had never had a clue. So the best part is the unpredictability of it. It's, um, it's fascinating. It shows that people are thinking creatively about these things. One question regarding your saying, like, I think your example is kind of like business to business, like they know they're getting that money. How exactly are they notified? Oh, that's, that's the best part is, first of all, the money moves immediately. They have to have access to the money immediately. A lot of people don't know this, but a lot of companies, even if they get the money, but it's done through something like an ACH transfer. And by the way, I love ACH, uh, but they get an ACH transfer. They know that there's a chance that it might uh, subsequently be reversed or if it was a debit, it might get, uh, you know, it might be insufficient funds. And so they will, in many cases, they'll wait a couple of days before they ship the goods to make sure it's not going to be returned. Uh, they know it was RTP. They can either, if it's a small to mid-sized business, it might be through their online, um, you know, online uh, banking portal. Uh, if it's a large company, they will typically have what's called um, uh, a, a reporting, um, um, cash manager reporting, which means they're getting updates throughout the day through a variety of ways. More and more of them are actually getting mobile updates on significant transactions. And so um, they might be looking at their accounts receivable system or their accounts payable system, seeing that there's a new thing that's, uh, you know, that showed up there. Um, and so it's, but the good thing is it's built into the way they do business. So it's not like they have to go out and say, I want to look at my real-time payments. If they have um, an enterprise resource planning system, an ERP system, it will show up there. And that's the kind of things that make a big difference. That's cool. Um, yeah, so there, there's all these, uh, I guess, points of uh, interfacing technically. I'm thinking literally yeah. like the work you're doing. Um, where where the clearinghouse is making the information available, and then it's a matter of the uh, either the bank or the fintech company or you know whoever whomever's the endpoint for the that end user to mm -hmm. determine how to provide the information appropriately yeah. in workflow. Yeah, can I can I just go slightly geeky just for a moment? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, but Lily, I think you'll appreciate this. The formats that are used for ACH were developed in about 1974-75. Those used for credit card payments were developed just really a few years later. So back in the 70s, wire transfers, similar. Um, the formats we use for ACH is based on a new global standard. Uh, this is a standard that is uh, basically the payments come through in an XML type of format. Everything is immediately confirmed, so there is no indeterminate state. When a payment comes in, when it's gone, going out, you know within seconds what the disposition is. Now think about that if you're an app developer, maybe at a fintech company, something like that. Being able to take a modern you know, sort of a web-aware way of, uh, of uh, formatting the payment, pulling it directly in, and then knowing exactly what happens. Uh, you can develop APIs that are very well-behaved, all of those things. That, interestingly enough, is one of the main reasons why fintechs seem to like this so much is it's very easy to work with. Yeah, that's okay. the first thing that came to my mind is being able to use that as an API really fast, you know, kind of the in-between layer. Yes. Now, Steve, I'm a little surprised you didn't drop the standard name from the ISO. Okay. <laughs> All right. The ISO 20022 standard. There we uh, go. Global yeah. standard. Uh, the reason, I'll be honest, the reason I tend not to talk too much about that specifically is that 
then people get scared and say, oh, no, I have to go and learn ISO 20022. 99.9% of the people involved in the payments business do not need to do that. Even if you're a developer, you're typically going to be working with an API that has been developed that sits on top of ISO 20022. I will admit, though, once at a conference, when I was asked about ISO 20022, I said, you know what? I have a new love in my life, and it's ISO 20022. That just shows you how geeky I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, well, this has been great. I want to pivot towards um, kind of our, you know, our typical end cap section of our of our podcast, which is fintech news of the week. So the question is to each of you: um, What is one interesting? fintech news story that's really caught your attention or, or, or um, your imagination over the last uh, last week. Lily, I'll let you start. Sure. So one that I was actually just reading this morning, I think the article came out kind of late last night, but Biden's executive order on cryptocurrency. So I know a lot of people have been, you know, a lot of people have been interested in cryptocurrency the last few years, definitely gaining popularity. And people have been waiting for these kind of executive orders. You know, what does the government think about this? What are they going to do? So a big thing about this executive order that's interesting is that it's kind of targeted around protecting consumers, which I think was a surprise to me. I thought it was going to be more so we don't like cryptocurrencies, get rid of them. But no, it's more so how do we actually kind of protect the consumers from these, you know, these scams, these illegal uses of cryptocurrency and you know, can the U.S. use this to our benefit on like a global scale? I think was a big part of it, and like how to how to kind of be responsible with these use of this new kind of new unknowns of the digital currency. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, me too. It's really, I mean, this this is coming on the heels of the release from the Federal Reserve. I think two yeah, last two ago, two yeah. Ago, where okay, they yeah. had they'd been doing a study. There's, you know, Steve's been involved with these. Fed does these amazing kind of long two long kind of long term really in depth, really in depth studies. So they, I think, been working on that study. I don't know, Steve. I want to say for at least a year, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the Federal Reserve is very thoughtful. Amazing people are there. I mean, just great, great minds. And they, um, you know, had a lot of really great stuff to say. But I guess Jerome Powell was kind of netting it out uh, in like a sounding bite almost, maybe two or three ways, saying, you know, very interesting development. This this crypto cryptocurrency stuff, we need to be thinking very carefully and thoughtfully about you know how to bring this into um, the payment system, the financial services, and and then it almost was like I don't may I was reading the executive order as a we have heard you Fed and we are encouraging you to explore further. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it. Uh, but I think I guess the most remarkable thing for me is just, you know, who if you'd asked me even four years ago, are we going to be hearing and seeing executive orders from the president of the United States of America or, you know, really involved kind of in-depth commentary from, you know, Chairman Powell, from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on this topic? I would have been like, I don't know this. I, I'm not sure that's going to be good. So it's pretty it's I think it's it's exciting to see it means this 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 uh, capability is really got clearly has legs to it. It's going to be it's being considered seriously as a system is a potential systemic component of our financial system. Um, 
So I think, you know, Lily, you're going to have to go really figure out how to make all this work for us uh, in our everyday lives. Um, but uh, it's exciting. I think it really is. Yeah, definitely an interesting next few years where this stuff kind of goes. Yeah. How about you, Steve? What's caught your attention? Uh, a lot of stuff in the news this week about fraud, uh, particularly consumers becoming victimized in various different yeah. ways. There was an article in the New York Times on uh, this weekend, um, you know, talking about folks being scammed into sending money, um, you know, to, uh, to to bad actors. Uh, I think ACI this morning announced that they have a new anti-fraud system they're bringing to market. Fraud is a big topic. And one of the things we're learning is that we have to be much more clear about what we're talking about. Traditionally, when you're talking about the world of payments and you're talking about fraud, someone was stealing a credit card or maybe getting your credit card number, running up a bunch of charges. Uh, maybe they were going and uh, they were uh, you know, compromising your credentials, logging on, and they were making, um, you know, sending wire transfers maybe for a business, that type of thing. In all of those cases, you were not involved. Um, someone has taken the money from you through a fraudulent means. Where the biggest growth has been um, has been in scams. Um, this could be anything from the business email compromise where uh, you know I hack someone's email and I send uh, something saying, hey, by the way, you've been paying invoices to this account. Now pay them here. And then they take the money and run. Or even more, real, honestly, more heartbreaking are things like where uh, you have folks calling uh, perhaps someone who's elderly saying, I'm your grandson. I need money quick. Uh, and I need bail money or something like that or the, um, the romance scams, those types of things are, um, those types of things are heartbreaking and these folks are good at it. And um, the difference there is the person did make the payment. They said, I want to send the money. Um, and it's, uh, it's something where there needs to be more done. Uh, they're doing a lot of really good work, by the way, in the UK. They've had a faster payment system uh, since uh, 2008. They're a little bit further along. The, the bad guys have gotten a little bit further along in trying to find ways of duping folks. So they have a number of things they've done. They have the Take 5 program. Before you send the money, think about, does, a, does the recipient, is that someone you know, that type of thing. Uh, they have uh, a number of things they're doing. Uh, but it's a tough one because it's not just a matter of having high security. You have to talk, get, make sure people are not being duped. Yeah, social engineering, very new kind of concept. Oh, yeah. And, and Steve, just, can you take it just a sec to talk about the, like, with the Real-Time Payments Network, the cleaning house, like, how, like, what are those preventative measures? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I think of Real-Time Payments <clears throat> as there's finality. There's, yeah. there's speed, There's it's instant, yeah. there's mm -hmm. recognition assistance, and then... Um, you know, where are those protections if, uh, you know, a, a fraud is being, you know, it, another yeah. person is going to be super sophisticated to make it happen. But can, can you say a little bit about that? Well, there will always be folks trying to defraud folks. And so what you need to do is try to make it as hard as possible for them to do so. Uh, there's a few things. One, um, it is a credit push network, which means every payment starts with someone telling their bank or credit union, send money for me. So first that does is it means you can't do it by stealing something like a credit card, um, getting someone's account number. You're not going to be able to get the money from them. Uh, and so um, you can at least make it where those unauthorized payments 
are witheringly low by having good security. When uh, Tommy Marshall goes and wants to send money, his bank has to say, is this really Tommy Marshall? Is this, you know, uh, has he gone through all of the validations? You know how sometimes you'll get the special code sent to you? Yeah. That can deal with that. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily do as much for when someone has tricked you. One way they can trick you is by saying they are someone they are not. Uh, I might have an account that says Steve Ledford, but I tell you, please send money to save the hungry children. One of the things we require is if it's a consumer transaction, the um, you know the the, the 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 financial institution that is sending it needs to make sure that the customer uh, who's told you who they want to pay that they have uh, reasonable certainty that is who they're paying. And there are various services that one can do to say the account owner of this is not save the hungry right. children. You know, it's this bad person. Uh, there's that. Uh, one of the other things we do is instead of having debits where you pull money out of someone's account, we have something called a request for payment. And it's exactly what it says. You send the request for payment. Maybe it's for a bill payment. You owe Georgia Power you know, your bill payment, and it says Georgia Power wants to charge you 100 bucks. The bank that's allowing Georgia Power to do that has to verify, yes, this really is Georgia Power. It's right. them, and that's whose name is on it. So you have a little bit more certainty there. Uh, and the other thing we're seeing is that, uh, and this is not necessarily in the network, but uh, we're seeing more folks saying uh, when they're setting up a new account to send to, maybe I do a recurring transfer to my mom once a month, and I go to set that up. It's saying, um, is this someone who has been you know, duping you, that type of thing? They're having to verify, yes, it is the account that I want to send it to. So we're doing those things, but you know what? The criminals are continually trying to say, say one had a step ahead, so we have to continually working on that, continually work on that. Thank you. Well, this has been great. Thank you, Lily, for your uh, engagement. Great questions. Steve, can't thank you enough for spending some time with us uh, today. I know you're super busy and everything that's going on with the Clearinghouse. Uh, but uh, thanks for your engagement with FinTech Academy. Um, just love uh, the fact, you know, uh, listeners, we've got our emerging payments course that's taught now as part of the FinTech Academy curriculum and real-time payments as part of that course. So uh, hope all of you will uh, check that out as well and continue to get engaged on this topic because this very much is the current and future of payments and uh, it's going to continue to be a critical part of our payments infrastructure. Uh, well, thank you so much. It was great to have you all. The Georgia thank Fintech you. Academy podcasts are available on iTunes and Spotify. To obtain additional information about the Georgia Fintech Academy, please visit our website at georgiafintechacademy.org.